following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Amen. Great job, choir. Great job. Amen. Amen. Lifted us up to heaven. You need to say that one and do it again. Uh, good morning. Good to see you. Thank you. I appreciate the three of you who like seeing me. All right. All right, we're going to take a vote this morning. If, if next Sunday is like today, how many of you want to meet outside? <laughs> Bring a picnic lunch with you, okay? Beautiful weather, isn't it? I mean, suddenly God's turned on the switch, and it's just, just about springtime, isn't it? So we praise him for that today. All right, uh, if you look at your bulletin with the sermon notes, it's going to overwhelm you. But I promise you... That, It's not a whole lot. You know, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, But there's just so much to the unity of God's church. We need to speak on that. And we need to understand what it is. And then we need to learn how to maintain it, how to keep this unity, okay? So it's vital. And you'll understand why in just a few moments. But speaking of the choir, what they sang this morning, I, I just couldn't help but think of... 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, King James or New International says, Behold what manner of love, or we see what sort of love the Father has given to us. And this is the type of love that it is, that we should be called the children of God. Isn't that something? God loved us enough to bring us into his family, and we're sons and daughters of the almighty living God himself. Amen. Amen. All right. If you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 4, we're skipping a couple of chapters, at least chapter 3, but we're going toward the end of chapter 4 today. And in that interlude, uh, some things happened. We left chapter 2 last week where we had a a little window open into the life of the early church. And, man, they were just together in this thing. They were united. Peter had just preached, and 3,000 were saved, and they're coming into the church. And and they got to baptize all those folks, okay? 3,000 to be baptized. So there's a lot going on in the early church. And then Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple at 3 o'clock. And 3 was a very special time. Three o'clock was a very special time because that's when Jesus was, when he died, three o'clock on the cross. There's a blind, uh, crippled beggar there, or a crippled beggar. He was always there at the, day, at the gate, the beautiful gate of the temple, uh, begging for money. And Peter said, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus uh, Christ, you stand up and walk. And for the first time in his life, he felt strength in his legs and uh, he stood up, and not only did he walk, but he began jumping. Nobody had to teach him how to walk. He began praising God, and that attracted the crowd. That attracted the authorities. They wanted to know what was going on. They arrested Peter and John, put him in jail, put them in jail. The next day, they brought him before the Jewish Supreme Court, which was called the Sanhedrin. And they said, by what power or name did you do this? And Peter answered, it's in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name given uh, from heaven that we might be saved. And they were astonished and took note 
these ignorant and uneducated men had been with Jesus and commanded them not to speak in that name anymore. And here's a good example of uh, uh, church and state when we have to stand up against state. When they tell us that according to our faith, we can't practice our faith, we can't speak of Jesus, we can't preach, we can't teach. That hasn't happened in America, thank goodness. But Peter said, judge for yourselves. Think about it. Whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. So they were released. They went back to the church where they were meeting. They were praying. And they prayed together then. And as they were praying, God showed out. As they were meeting, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they spoke the Word of God boldly. Man, that had to be some kind of days there in the early church, didn't it? But that same God can do the same thing in our midst, I believe, with all my heart. So the early church, I believe they were tough on the outside. This was the first, really, persecution they had undergone, okay? So they were tough on the outside, but man, inside the church, they were tender. Tough on the outside, tender on the east inside. Acts chapter 4, where we're picking up today, in verse 32 through 35, another little open window here, because I want to preach on the church, is what I'm preaching on through Acts. We read this, the group of those who believed were of one heart. And of one mind, they were in unity, they were united. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet, and the proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, I'm not preaching today that you go home and sell your house and bring the money back here, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if there was a need, the early church met it, and they were united. They were one, one. And let's look at this, okay? Because God, I, I believe, I believe his word teaches, places great, great premium on unity and harmony in the church. And really, if you were to go through the New Testament, because that's where the church is, it's where it's born and where it's living, he talks more about unity in the church than anything else. I believe God can overlook a lack of facilities. God can overlook poor programs. God could look a lack of leadership. God could even look over a church that doesn't have any money. But one thing God would not bless is, is a church that is in conflict or disharmony that is not in, uh, united. God blesses a unified church. Many churches have tremendous potential, but they never achieve what God wants them to achieve because the members are all looking inside rather than outside. They're all looking at, at their foibles, at their disagreements, all these kind of things. All the energy is focused inward. Success is a never a one-man show. You know that, right? 
It always involves many people, and unity is absolutely necessary to any kind of achievement. Unity is needed everywhere. It's needed in families to have a happy family. You've got to have unity, right? It's needed in business because employees need to get along in order to make the business prosper. It's needed in and. In sports, because players need to have need to be unified to win, we and also government. There has to be some type of unity there for anything to pass for the nation to continue on. But unity is needed, especially I believe, in the church. There must be unity for God to be able to work and for the church to be what God really wants the church to be. Churches are made up of people. But there are no perfect people. So people get into conflict or they get distracted with minor things. And we need to learn the importance of unity. And that's what I want to convey to you today. So first of all, we need to begin with the principles of unity. All right? Several principles here. I'm not going to rush, but there's just a, a few moments I want to spend on each. First of all, The Lord Jesus Christ prayed for unity for the church. And John 17, that chapter is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Jesus, it's the night that he was going to be arrested the next day, condemned and crucified and died. But before that happened, before he's arrested, he's still with his disciples. He's praying this high priestly prayer for his disciples And for the church to come, you and me, okay? And twice he prayed, Father, I pray that they will be one. Father, I pray they will be united. I pray they will be in unity just as you and I are one. And you and I are in unity. Jesus prayed unity for the church and he'll pray for you and I to be one as he and the Father is one. So Jesus prayed for unity for the church. Secondly, we need to realize the church is a fellowship. And that means if we hurt or harm or even destroy the unity of the church, we destroy the church itself. That's why unity is so important. In Acts chapter 2, we looked at this last week. Verse 42 says, They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to their fellowship. Okay? So since the church is a fellowship, if the unity and the harmony of the church is damaged, then the church is damaged. Thirdly, unity is a top priority. Ephesians 4.3 says this to us. This is what the Bible teaches. Make every effort, do everything you possibly can to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace We're to do with all of our strength to keep the unity in the church. For the leadership of the church, whether it's a Sunday school class, a children or youth ministry, the leadership there, the deacons, the staff, the pastor, whoever it is, one of our primary jobs in addition to the ministry that we have that God has given to us, one of our primary jobs is to promote unity in the church. We are to make every effort to keep that unity, to concentrate on the things that make for harmony and the growth of our fellowship together. Then fourthly, unity is a witness, a witness to the community, a witness to the world. 
Listen to the words of Jesus Christ from John 13. He's speaking to his disciples, but he's speaking to you and I today as well, for we are his disciples today. Jesus said, I give you a new new commandment. Love one another. Love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by your love that you are my disciple. There's the distinguishing mark right there. Friends, there's power in unity. When a church loves each other, there is unity and there's harmony. Harmony is just an expression of unity. It's an intimacy that comes when people from absolutely different backgrounds have something in common. And the common thing that you and I have is the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith in him. We're all from different backgrounds. We all are different. We're as different as night and day. We don't have to have uniformity in order to have unity in the church. God doesn't insist that we're all stamped out of the same cookie-cutter mode. What draws us together is not our common background or our common intelligence or our common economic status or our race or whatever. What draws us together is the spirit of the living Jesus, his spirit in our hearts. That is what produces unity, and that will produce the witness that we have in this community and the world. Do you believe that? then God will bless a unified church. That's a good thing, isn't it? Acts 2 again, 46 and 47. They had all things in common. They were of one heart. And so the Lord added daily to the church. People were joining the church every day, not just on Sundays. Ten times, ten times in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, it says... They were of one heart. They ate together. They had one purpose. They had one mind. They were of one soul. They were of one spirit. One, 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 one. When a church develops the unity of the book of Acts, along with it comes the power of the church of the book of Acts and the growth of the church of the book of Acts. I really believe with all of my heart when a church is united You can't stop it. God will bless that church. So now, I can't do a lot individually for myself for the Lord. You can't as an individual do a whole lot for the Lord. Do what we can, but together we can make an impact on the community. So now with that as a basis, I want us to look at how to maintain unity in the church and how to protect the church from disunity, all right? So let's look at maintaining unity. And number one is we need to keep an attitude of acceptance. I love, one of my favorite chapters about the church in all the Bible is Romans chapter 16. And in that chapter, Paul is writing. He's about to close the chapter here. And he's writing to this little Christian church and the capital city of the Roman Empire, and he's writing all this doctrine to him, but at the end, Paul shows his pastor's heart because he lists like 29 names of members of that church that are dear to his heart. 
And this is what I get out of it, okay? These truths. Church is not about numbers. Church is about being connected to one another. The most gifted member of any church would not contribute if he or she is not connected. People may come and people may join the church, but friends, I want to tell you, if they're not connected to the church, to one another, to some ministry in the church, they'll eventually leave because they'll feel they're not wanted. The church in Rome was open to receiving new people continuously. And Paul, when he wrote about those names, he knew something about every name that he mentioned. How many people, I'm asking you, how many people in Welford Baptist Church do you know like that? Hmm? Paul gave examples of how these members, they risked something for one another. Today, it seems like it's so hard for us to risk ourselves for someone else because it's so much easier to stay in our comfort zones, isn't it? What is he saying here, really? I believe he's saying this. In our interaction with each other, do not major on the minors, okay? We know what the majors is, isn't it? It's the Lord Jesus. It's God's gift to us that he gave in his son. It's our faith and our repentance of our sins in him. It's acceptance, as I just mentioned, that we accept one another. We accept people where they are, not where we want them to be. We don't insist that everybody agree on every minor detail. Even the Bible says there are some things that are disputable matters. Some things, you know, we really don't have an answer to. Some things that, so what? You know, we'll agree to disagree. But we need to maintain an attitude of acceptance. Aren't you glad that we're not all alike? Hmm? Aren't you glad of that? God loves variety. Variety is the spice of life, like they say. I look out on Sunday mornings here at all of you, okay? And you know what I see? It's like going to Baskin Robbins and 31 varieties of ice cream, you know? I see all these different sizes, all these different shapes, all these different looks. And that's what God wants. We got to maintain an attitude of accepting one another. Our first task then as a member and even as a leader is when somebody comes up and says, hey, what about this? Or what about that? You know, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. It's time to say, whoa, time out, time out. Let's look at this. Is this really an essential matter? Is this really a hill to die on, so to speak? If it's not essential, the Bible says, let's just accept that person. You know, that, that's their opinion on that. We all have foibles. We all have faults. We are all, every one of us, uh, a bundle of strength and weaknesses. Everybody's got their hang-ups, but what we need to do is learn to maintain an attitude of acceptance for each other. Then we focus on our purpose, Okay. We're free. We've got our mind free to focus on a purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together, to end your divisions and to be united by the same mind and purpose. 
catch that word, purpose, purpose. That's what produces unity in the church, a common purpose. You know what? I would not dare to join a church that didn't know where it was going, where it was heading, what the purpose was here. That's why it's good and essential to clearly spell out the purpose, to hold on to that common purpose. And what is that common purpose? Right now, Welford Baptist Church, you're without a pastor. You're without the man that God is going to speak to to give him a vision of God's purpose for the church. And I would say right now, the purpose of Welford Baptist Church is what Jesus said of the greatest commandments. Love God. Love God with everything you have. And then love others as you love yourselves. I think that's our purpose, to make disciples. Next, this, this is a tough one. Control your tongue. Okay? Refuse to gossip. When someone comes to you, you need to have the, in the back of your mind a filter. And when they start sharing an issue, you need to judge it and real quickly say, is that really a legitimate concern? If it is, then who do I need to direct them to? And if it's just gossip, say, well, I'm not going there, okay? I'm not going to listen to that. Because the Bible says gossip is a sin, okay? And if you listen to gossip, then you become a partner in it. And all through Scripture, read James 3 when you go home today. It talks about the power of the tongue. It can either heal or it can destroy. Ephesians 4.29 says, You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it would give grace to those who are listening to you. Gossip is when you're sharing a problem or a criticism with someone who, who is neither part of the problem or part of the solution. If they're part of a solution, then it's a, a le legitimate to share it with them. But if they're not, you know, like Barney Fife says, zip it. Just zip it. The Bible says control your tongue. And the Bible says in James 3, if you control your tongue, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. I don't care how much doctrine I may know. But if I don't know how not to gossip, then I'm immature because that's what the Bible says. Then, this is another tough one, okay? Then we're going to move on. Practice conflict resolution. Practice conflict resolution. The Scripture gives us the procedure that's to be used in the church when somebody's blowing it, all right? Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother or your sister sins against you, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you've regained your brother or your sister. But if he doesn't listen, then take one or two others with you so that at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established, may be settled. If he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector, like an unbeliever. So the Bible says that if we have a problem with someone, with one of our brothers and sisters, the first one we go to is the person we're having the problem with. Sometimes people will come to me and say, you know, Howard, I've got a problem with so-and-so, and I need to say, 
Well, have you talked to them about it? I'll be happy to talk to you after you've talked to them. Don't make in runs. Go directly to the person because that's the way God said to do it. Then if it says if they won't listen, then take another person with you, a witness. If it says they refuse to listen to, to y'all, then treat them like an unchurched person. Now listen, what are you supposed to do with an unchurched person? You love them, right? An unchurched person, unsafe person, they don't know any better, really. But you love them. You don't treat them, but you don't treat them like a member. Now, this is stuff. I, the reason I'm preaching this, that we need to know, you know. The Bible teaches that as a church grows, and I'm looking to, for Welford to grow, aren't you? Satan will do everything that he can to cause division in the ranks, even with well-meaning people. Some believers can be used uh, as a tool of Satan to hurt the body of Christ. How? Number one, by creating division. We don't want that. So there's four needs here that we need to have. To be tough on the outside, but tender on the inside. Number one, we need initiative. Okay? We need initiative. Deep in our hearts, there must be this urge, there must be this yearning to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our desire that there's no safer better or thrilling place than to be at his side. I believe that. Walking through life hand in hand with the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, we need initiative. Secondly, we need compassion. The early church, get this, the early church saw a world that desperately needed to know about Jesus Christ. Do you see that same type of world? Do you see a world today that desperately needs to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Are you filled with compassion to help others find him? I'm thrilled to learn about this. Is it C2? C2C? Yeah, coast to coast. Man, what an opportunity to have 140 children come inside the walls five days a week. And you know what they're going to be learning? Oh, yeah. Well, I know it's an after-school thing, but still, the ABCs, math, all that kind of thing. But they're also going to learn about Jesus Christ. This is a Christian ministry. And they're going to learn about the love of God here in this building. And God can take that C2C and these children and spread what is happening here to their families and to others. And who knows what God will do with it. That's up to him. But for each and every one of us here, we're not going to be in the classroom, you know, when they come. But here's one thing every one of us can do. From a child on up to the oldest member, Easter. It's been proven that if we're going to invite someone to church to come and, and, and uh, attend church with us, they are most likely to accept our invitation on Easter Sunday. I want to encourage you to make Easter to invite a friend to church. 
pray about who God will have you to invite, okay? One or more. And let's fill this place up. Because Easter Sunday morning is all about the greatest act of history, that Jesus died, but he rose again. It was Friday. Easter's coming. Sunday's coming. Invite a friend. Two more little ones. Thirdly, we need vulnerability. That just means being tender, tender in spirit. It means opening up to a family of believers just like the apostles did when they were released from prison. They came back and they shared everything that happened. It means taking a risk. It's, it means being willing to reach out to, to someone else in the church in love. And that will bring our last essential here. We need love. We need love in our hearts. And I'm going to let C.S. Lewis, his great Christian writer, he was an atheist teaching college in, in England, but he found Jesus Christ and became one of the greatest Christian writers ever. He wrote this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will, be so, certainly, will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to your pet. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, it's safe, it's dark, it's motionless, and it's airless. It will change. It will not be broken Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, unredeemable. For the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell itself. So friends, today I think Acts is such a great, inspiring, teaching book for you and I. And it's teaching us today just about unity of loving one another as Christ loved us, of going together forward and, and following Christ. We need to let these early Christians inspire us to a faith that's tough on the outside to defend our faith, to handle the ruggedness of following Jesus Christ, but tender enough to love him and to love others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for this day and for the book of Acts. And Lord, what, uh, what you did, gosh, in the early church from the get-go, God, from the very beginning, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for the unity that we can have in you because, Jesus, you and the Father are one, and that's what you desire and you want and crave for us that we will be together. And, Father, I pray, thank you. And I thank you, God, these days that we're, Jane and I are here, we thank you for the joy that we sense and we feel and we see. We thank you, God, for the togetherness. Wednesday night, especially, Lord, is just, uh, that's the love meeting there. We thank you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing on Sunday mornings here. Those who are singing and giving their time, those keeping children, and Lord, those playing. All that's occurring, God, 
uh, as we sit here to hear your word. And Holy Spirit, I thank you, as your word says, that, God, your word will not go out and return void. When your word goes out and we hear it and we respond to it, Lord, great things happen, even within our hearts. And I pray that now, for this is the moment that this, this service has come to. Lord, will we look at ourselves. Lord, we ask you to reveal ourselves to us. Lord, to make any changes that we need in our lives that will be acceptable to you. It may be salvation, to believe in that it's the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, to make our peace with you, God, and then, God, to do our part in the local body, the church. So bless this time. I pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings. Following resource is from Welford Baptist Church.